You'll probably hear the word grit from me quite often. And I think that's a word that associates with a successful financial advisor or, or someone in that industry. I stuck it out. It's about sticking it out, passing those exams, hitting your targets and keep pushing forward. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle, spelled A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part two in the two-part Planning Financial Futures series. In part one, we went through hour by hour in a day in Sam's life as a financial advisor. In this episode, we're going to take you through Sam's career journey so you know what skills and experiences are necessary to land a job as a financial advisor. Grit in networking got him into amazing career opportunities all across the globe and out of forced unemployment in New York City. Let's learn how he did it so you can too. Sam attended Bishop Holt Sixth Form in the UK as his secondary school, and then at 16, he stayed on for another two years. During his time there, he was the head of the charities committee and had the honor of being the head boy, which is equivalent to being the class president in the United States. So that was pretty cool, cool, you know. What did you learn in that experience? I learned a lot, actually. I guess that's where I really started taking responsibilities, and it was where I, I started turning into an adult. Sam faced many tough career decisions in his life, but his first one came to him at the young age of 18. At 18 years old, I had a a big choice to make, and that was study history, which was my favorite subject in school, and become a barrister, which is like a lawyer. And I also, at the same time, was offered a stockbroking apprenticeship at a, funny enough, a U.S. trading firm. Who would have known that would have ended up in the the U.S. and found my wife there? But we'll, you know, we'll we'll get to that eventually. (laughs) So I, I had to think long and hard, but uh, eventually I chose the stockbroking apprenticeship route. And before I continue, I would say to any of, of those listening out there, or to all of you, I would strongly advise you to take your time before you make a decision like that, because it was a tough decision to make. And it was a long, gritty ladder that I had to climb with uh, a lot of people realizing it wasn't maybe the best job for them. But I stuck out. I started climbing up that ladder. You had all these interests, right? But what made the apprenticeship stand out the most to you? And do you have any regrets on choosing that path? I I know what chose it for me. It was, <laughs> I don't know if it's the right one, but I guess I, I, I would answer the question because not every single person, I strongly believe that university is not for everyone. So it's a, it's a good, it's a good question to answer. What did it for me was at a very young age, I had two passions, history and my parents were market traders. Mm. So I, at a young age, I used to see money crossing hands and I used to look up there and I used to question how much things cost at, at a very young age. So I guess I had a passion for some sort of trading. And when the opportunity came, it was literally choosing out of two passions. Now, one of them, well, arguably both of them are incredibly hard. To become a lawyer, there's a lot of studying. And to become a stockbroker, there's a lot of mental pressure and a lot of work as well that needs to be done. But uh, I ended up choosing that one because maybe it paid me a little bit more (laughs) quicker, uh, perhaps. 
And so you had to pass a number of exams in-house and you'll probably hear the word grit from me quite often. And I think that's a word that associates with a successful financial advisor or, or someone in that industry. And I stuck it out. It's about sticking it out, passing those exams, hitting your targets and keep pushing forward. It's funny because just as I started reaching that top and I became successful, there's a, a small market in- incident called the recession. I don't know if you heard mm. of it. <laughs> that thing, yeah. seven, so, right? Yes. Um, and I had to completely change my game. So I studied for derivatives. In short, it basically enabled me to make money for my clients or at least attempt to make money for my clients, regardless of which way the market moves. So you mm-hmm. can short sell the market. You can make money if the market goes down. And of course, the traditional way that everyone knows is making money by buying stock when it goes up. Yeah, Are you making that. any money on your side for yourself or is it all for clients? Sadly, I wish I could. Uh, <laughs> some big opportunities for me to make money. But sadly, it was a conflict of interest because with derivatives, you can leverage. So we're leveraging up to 10 times. So if someone put down $1,000, you can leverage it to 10,000. So you can make some, you know, if someone puts down 10, you can be 100 and so forth. So the idea was because it was fast moving, there'd be a conflict of interest, me purchasing any of those stocks because I could be doing my best interest in front of clients. It's a very, very regulated industry. Like Sam said, things in the financial industry change fast. You've got to get with the program or you'll be left in the dust. After a couple years at the apprenticeship, Sam found himself at another crossroads. And then I was approached by a company in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates. I think I might have had a resume somewhere out there. And uh, I was approached and they promised me tax-free money and internal sunshine. So it was a hard one to turn down. Did ponder on it. And uh, eventually I made the second biggest decision, career decision I'd ever made. It was extremely, extremely hard. I Mm. I moved to a desert. I I, I say it's a desert. It is a desert, but it's a a beautiful desert. And I, I, I didn't know anyone. I did not know one person. In fact, I knew one person from a friend of a friend's. If I look at greatest accomplishments, I would say moving to Dubai was was up there. I'll tell you what, I've been there as a tourist for like with my parents and my brothers about four years before that. And moving to a country to work is completely different from visiting that country as a tourist. (laughs) It's completely different. I arrived, I I was definitely overweight in in terms of luggage. And... uh, And I'm, I'm huddling all this stuff and trying to find my, my apartment and, and the company. And I'm thinking to myself, what have I done? I've, I, I don't know where the heck I am. It's changed so much in the four years since I was there for five days as a tourist. And, um, I, this is, this is my, this is my home. You know, the core language is Arabic. I don't speak Arabic. And uh, fortunately, it's Western enough to speak English, but still it was a mind blowing experience. And then the word grit comes in again. The first year was, Arguably the hardest year of my life. There would be times when I was in the office late at night, you know, when I say late at night, early morning, uh, half 12, one in the morning, and nearly in tears, thinking to myself, what the heck am I doing here? And I want to go home. You know, my friends are home and family were home and, and, and whatnot. And I just stuck at it. I thought to myself, no, 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 I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick at this and I'm gonna make it happen. And then things started changing. I had, um, a large amount of clients come on board and I started getting promoted within the company, helping staff within the company, running meetings. 
and had a very successful career there. Not only did he have a successful career there, he was also living it up in Dubai. He told us world travel is one of the most important things anyone should do in their life. I started learning Chinese, Mandarin. When I was in Dubai, I went to safaris in Kenya and South Africa. I climbed Kilimanjaro. I ran a marathon, which I said I'll never do, but it was during my time in Dubai, I ran the London Marathon for meningitis. And just, it really opened my eyes and gave me the opportunity to do things and to travel the world and to experience different cultures. And that's what Dubai brought for me. How important is it? to go study abroad, just travel abroad, just for young students, how important is that? I would say that's the most important thing you should do in your life. It was the most important thing I ever did. I've got goosebumps talking about this right now because I'm so passionate about this. I have a theory called awareness. I know it sounds silly, but I believe that if you travel and work abroad, you become aware. And if you are aware, then you are one of a small percentage of the world that live in different countries to fully understand Mm. a different culture. Now, there's different ways to do that. As you said, you can study abroad or live there for a short time or at least travel the world. But it was was definitely the biggest thing that shaped me to become the man that I am today. At 28 years old, Sam was encountering another career crossroads, to move or not to move to New York City. He was headhunted to move to the financial advisory company's New York office to be an investment advisor. On the one hand, he was established in Dubai, got to travel, had loyal clientele, but ultimately decided to drop everything and move. And the main reason why I moved there was curiosity. Once again, I went there as a tourist and New York is not the same place when you work there from when you go as a tourist, I can tell you that. It was purely curiosity. I did not want to think 10 years down the road, what would have New York been like if I had moved there? And seven days after I landed, I met my wife. So I should have met her two and a half years previously we both had the same mutual friends we was uh, uh, on this sailing trip in Greece but we didn't see each other seven days after I landed in New York there was a brunch literally six weeks later we were going on a sailing trip on the south of Sao Paulo and uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil and she she happened to be going to that trip so she was at the brunch and uh, we met at the brunch and the rest is history we got married after five and a half months Remember when we said the financial industry changes in the blink of an eye? Well, in this case, so did the status of Sam's job. The company I moved over for had a large restructuring and they laid off 75, 80% of the exact term of their, of their staff. And I was now going through a grit again because I now had to wait for my work permit because mm. I could no longer be in the United States anymore without a work permit. That work permit took six and a half months to arrive. I was under forced unemployment, forced being the sense that I was offered jobs by Morgan Stanley, prospect job by UBS and by Northwestern Mutual. And I couldn't do anything because I wasn't allowed to work until I waited for my work permit to arrive. During that time, uh, believe it or not, if I left the country, I would have been restricted from re-entering for around 10 years. And if I had a job during that time period, I would have been left the country and probably not allowed to enter at all because I wasn't allowed the job and I'm getting the job. And I share that with you because of my purely because of my listeners. And that's because it's very easy at that stage to go back to a place of comfort 
maybe go back to Dubai, try and get some clients back, maybe go to the UK and uh, start something there. But no, I stood ground, waited for that work permit to arrive. <laughs> and uh, I chose Northwestern Mutual as the, as the career that I wanted to take. From jumping to different companies, do the clients ever come with you? Sadly not, especially being in the States. There's different rules from managing clients' portfolios if you're in America. You know, it's a nine-hour time difference from, from Dubai. So the clients were well looked after uh, within the company. You know, I had to just pass them back to the company and then there was another senior advisor that would look after those clients. Sam's got some insight on how to impress the hiring managers at financial companies. I would just say be yourself and be calm they're not there to eat you alive you know they're looking although for, it feels like it yeah <laughs> it, it does feel, you know it does feel like it it does feel like it for everyone that's listening there but i can tell you one thing i in fact let me let me go back to when i was to before i took that stockbroken apprenticeship i i managed to get an interview at credit swiss and they're international and i i from a friend i got an interview and let's just say i did not get the job because i was not myself I was not cool, calm, and collected. I was completely flustered. I think I arrived two minutes late, which is a no-no. Oh, um, no. And uh, I was sweating and everything. So she politely told me that I didn't get the position. And she said, just be yourself next time. So now fast forwarding to answer that question. I think you should definitely just be yourself and trust your ability. If you want to move into this industry, you're already halfway there because you're thinking it and you know what you want to do. Just portray that in the interview and just be yourself. They're human beings behind there they're not there to eat you alive they're just trying to see your qualities name your qualities tell them what you're good at tell them what you can bring to the company and that will help you so what was the process of getting the job at northwestern then so many interviews but i will say (laughs) i will say that they, they they were very they're an awesome company and the interviews were sometimes extensive they put you to the test more to make sure that you're able to do the job it's more for your own benefit and i think that's what people should understand when they get interviewed for financial companies it's that what they're doing is to see whether you are made for the job it's not even about them to the most extent and that's why i finished off a few minutes back by saying to see what you can offer them um, they want to see that you're hungry and you can help the company grow if you really understand that interviews are extremely easy you don't have to be cocky in that sense but it's just a case of you know, listening to their questions and just answering truthfully and showing how you can benefit them, which I did. And I got the job. (laughs) And now we're here today. And now we're here today. Could you go briefly into like what the different stages of the interviews are just so that our listeners are prepared? I don't want to scare my my listeners. (laughs) I, I, um, I was very fortunate. I was meant to have an interview with a lady which tried to, to initially get me in for a job interview, but Oh, actually, I say fortunate. Now, depending on who's listening, you can see whether your your cup is half full or half empty. <laughs> this I next story you're about to hear, we want you to think about what you would say in this situation. Would you say anything at all? What's your elevator pitch? I say fortunate by accidentally bumping into the managing partner of our office in Northwestern Mutual. And he was the person that interviewed me on my very first interview. 
the reason why I see that as an opportunity is because I'm talking to the main person within my boss's boss, essentially, who was who was interviewing me. And that's the difference. You know, it's just that opportunity you can have there. Some people by, are like super scared yeah, to some just might even be, approach someone of that Yeah, someone stature. might be scared. They're like, yeah. oh no, he's, I'm talking to the main person. But you know, if it's if you're once again, if you're saying who you are, what you can do, what you can bring to the table and how you can help the company grow, then you, you're set. But that being aside, I still had a lot of interviews. It was just mainly one to see a, a general chat about, you know, my my story, why I'm in New York, why do I think Northwestern Mutual can be a good fit, what they can bring to the table for me and how they can help me grow in my career. The second one was like this test. And I don't know if I should, I mean, it's, it's basically just a test to see where I score in terms of self-discipline and, 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 and by the way, there's no real answer for these things. So you don't have to, you don't have to fake them, literally be yourself and it will put you into a category and they'll basically just see if you, if you're someone that puts your head down and studies more, or if you're someone that goes out there and might need assistance on those things. I believe there's another two more, but they were, <laughs> but they were, but they were fun and, and they should be. Uh, I think these days, especially in New York, fortunately, I've only been in the interviewing side once, and that's with Northwest Mutual. But I believe financial companies might do the same thing. I don't, I don't think it's a one interview and you're, you're all set. It's probably going to be two or three. Just always be yourself and you'll be fine. Sam got the job at Northwestern Mutual as a financial advisor, and he works with his clients to achieve their financial goals through insurance and investment solutions. There's many different types of plans and solutions Northwestern Mutual offers, but in order to help his clients, he follows a four-step process mentioned in part one. You would think that working for a big company like Northwestern Mutual means that there wouldn't be any room for an entrepreneurial mindset, but think again. Northwestern Mutual have been around for 161 years. What they do, uh, they do very successfully. They do promote entrepreneurial skills and, and, and promote us growing as individuals. So within the company, you can grow, you can set up your own team. And then within that team, you can branch off as a network office and still work within Northwestern Mutual. So yes, I'd very much say that they do promote us to be entrepreneurial and grow within ourselves and further grow the company. That wraps up part two in the Planning Financial Future series. Huge thanks to Sam for sharing his wisdom throughout this Experience a Day in the Life series. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one in this series to experience a day in the life of a financial advisor. So they say you can't get a job without experience, but need experience to get the job. But luckily, we have quite the experience. You can join our team and experience a day in the life of the jobs you want by applying to be a student editor. Regardless of your major or amount of experience, this is the perfect stepping stone into any internship or career. Find more info and sign up at xadiddle.com students. That's x-a-d-i-t-l dot slash students. Thanks for listening. Head over to exadiddle.com. That's X-A-D-I-T-L.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at Xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Poe and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.